Please be turning to Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10, we're going to look at the first three verses in Leviticus chapter 10 in just a moment. It may be that in your daily Bible reading, Leviticus is not approached with much excitement. You read about things that you're not directly familiar with and things that you may not be directly involved with. It may seem that practical lessons are hard to reach. And we may want to say about this book, it pertains to a previous age. We do not live in the time of Moses. All those thoughts about Leviticus can justify just almost ignoring the book. Please don't do that. See, it is here in the Scriptures. I believe God gave us this history as part of the instruction that we need about who He is and what He does and about principles that remain. While we are not direct participants in the covenant God made with Moses, with Israel through Moses, the stories of the Old Testament serve to illustrate principles and sometimes exemplify dangers that really need our attention and our relationship with God. The Apostle Paul wants us to know these things were written for our learning, Romans 15, 4, and for our admonition, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. So with all that in mind, let's read this tragic historical event in Leviticus chapter 10. I'm going to use the New International Version in the study of the text this evening, and it reads as follows. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to His command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke of when He said, Among those who approach me, I will show myself holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. Then it says that Aaron remained silent. One of the first thoughts we should have about this episode is this. God is to be taken seriously. That's always been so. It is so today. God is to be taken seriously. And so, there's simply nothing man can offer in contradiction to what God has said to justify disobedience. There is no excuse, there is no sophisticated reasoning, no exemption, no plausible arguments to be made against God and what He has said pleases Him. Though we do not live in the days of Moses under that covenant, this is a constant that we're looking at tonight. This respect for God, 
this interest in doing just as he says without human liberty being factored into it, flexibility that we might claim to change. It should be our purpose, each of us, today and tomorrow, to concentrate on what God has said and to execute what God has said just as He has said it should be done. So that's the first thought you may have about the story of Nadab and Abihu. Now, our focus on this episode should include some knowledge of the background, and we gain that from circumstances that are narrated in the two previous chapters. We discover in those chapters the designation of Aaron and his sons as priests, something that we made reference to last Sunday evening. Now, what we're talking about here is not something that people voted on or a political deal that was crafted out of some sort of compromise with Moses. Moses was doing as the Lord commanded him. When he brought Aaron and his sons before the assembled Israel, and Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded to be done. Now right there, one ought to take notice and take God seriously. This is what the Lord has commanded to be done. A public ceremony made it very clear to the people. Aaron and his sons were designated by God as priests. And as this consecration ceremony was conducted, Everything was done as the Lord commanded Moses. Notice the last verse in chapter 8. So Aaron and his sons did everything the Lord commanded through Moses. Do you hear principle there that we must embrace today? In Leviticus 9, Aaron and his sons begin their important work. And the Bible says, the glory of the Lord appeared when Aaron blessed the people. Up to this point... Everything seems to be happening as it should because these priests so far are following everything the Lord commanded through Moses. They are acting to honor God by doing what He says pleases Him. And then two of Aaron's sons acted presumptuously, one translation says, doing that which God had not Commanded. God had said what He wanted, and they did something else. This is the historical account of their departure from God's law. And now with the background in mind, we're going to go back and read again. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to His command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke of when he said, Among those who approach me, I will show myself holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. Aaron remained silent. To continue now, to understand the gravity of the sin these men committed. Just look at terminology. Terminology in the Bible is put there not to fill up space, but to convey to us what the Holy Spirit intends. And when you look at the terminology here, you can, you can see these words strange and profane, and then in the NIV, 
there is the very explicit word unauthorized. Strange would indicate not done as previously done. Profane is very important in this context. It would indicate not respectful to God. And then the word unauthorized, as it is used in the NIV, shows God had revealed how he wanted this to be done. But these men didn't do it that way. It is that simple. About this, preachers and teachers and commentators have written and spoken with many, many words trying to explain or identify just what the sin was. Some have said and written in their commentaries and their journals that this had nothing to do with fire or incense. Rather, they were drunk. Didn't read anything about that in the text, did you? And it is argued by others that everything about what they did just didn't matter. That the problem was an irreverent attitude. Their heart wasn't in it. Same sort of argument is made by the same kind of commentators and theologians about Cain and Abel. An argument will be made that it didn't matter how they worship. But the problem was Cain just, his heart just wasn't in it. I'll tell you what we need to do. We need to avoid the temptation to overlook the simple. It seems typical of men when they start writing about such simple narratives to overlook the simple and overcomplicate and then contrive everything else with some spin. Intoxication may have been involved, no doubt. They were disrespectful. But we should look at what this says. They offered unauthorized fire before the Lord contrary to His command. It is this simple particularly when you factor in everything else in Leviticus prior to this. God issued a command about the ignition source. You couldn't use fire from just any source. Nor could you assemble the incense in just any way. You see, God had spoken. God had said to His covenant people under the Old Testament, this is how I want this to be done. Now, people may come along, like the commentators and theologians I mentioned, and they may say, well, God is just being too particular. Well, the answer to that is God has a right to be just as particular as He wants to be. With similar attitude, men may think God should have just relaxed and overlooked it and, and his law should have been more flexible, and he should have ignored their disobedience. And the answer to that is the same. God is the one being worshipped. God is the one in charge. God is the authority. God is the sovereign. Our judgments of God are just out of place. They're just out of place. We have not been granted any option to be God's critics about anything to judge God or plead any case against His will and say, well, He just should have overlooked that. God's law was, according to Leviticus 16, 12, and Exodus 30 and verse 9, hot coals were to be put in their censers from the altar of burnt offering. You see, God 
didn't just say to the priest, lead the people in worship any way you want. Get fire anywhere you want to get it and handle the whole thing any way you see fit. God specified what he wanted. In this case, he commanded them about ignition source. Once God spoke, they were obligated to do exactly what God said. Anything else would be unauthorized. Unauthorized. This is how serious God is about our response to his instructions. Now, we don't have these instructions about fire in the incense from the altar. We are not participants in the Mosaic Covenant. Christians are participants in the New Covenant of Jesus Christ. We have instructions from God, and we show our reverence for him by careful obedience to what God has said to us. But let me remind you again, Moses' explanation of this in verse 3. Moses then said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke of when he said, Among those who approach me, I will show myself holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. That's true today, isn't it? I will be honored, God says. Aaron remained silent. And I should remind us that Paul said these things were written for our learning and for our admonition. How do we use this history? What warnings and what principles emerge in the narrative? I want to bring up three things, and then after the three things, I'll have something else for you about all this that I think will help us. How we worship God is not a trivial matter. I know that it is typical, modern thinking, that how you worship God and what you do about God and what you do in relationship to Him just doesn't matter too much. You can just figure it out yourself and craft your own homemade religion. Sometimes I observe, even among brethren, an ever-expanding view of worship with declining emphasis on scripture and more emphasis on modern trends and emotions and marketing. Such trends and thinking should disturb us and it should be our commitment to worship God in the way he has said he desires to be worshiped. And one way we approach this whole matter is to get back to what worship is. Two things about worship are very important. Worship is to be directed to God. Not the community, but God to worship, since God is the perfect communicator, should be done according to what he has communicated. Worship is to be directed to God, since he is the perfect communicator. Everything we believe and do about worship should be governed by his word, not by the culture, not by mainstream denominational religion, not by other churches of Christ, not by issues of personal emotion and preference or convenience, not by human creed. Everything we believe and do about worship should be governed by what God has said. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth, John 4, 24. Want to know what that means? Keep reading after John 4, 24, all the way through the end of the New Testament, you'll discover what God wants. How we worship God is not a trivial matter. 
We should let Nadab and Abihu help us get that. And let me add, it is unbecoming of Christians to frame sophisticated arguments in favor of doing something other than what God has authorized. That brings me to the second takeaway. Why not just do exactly as God commands? Why wouldn't you do that? Whether you're talking about worship or baptism or the work of the church or the attitudes and activities of various relationships, the duties of domestic relations, individual responsibilities, our steadfast commitment should be, I just want to do what God has said. Why wouldn't we have that attitude? Let me use this approach. Under Christ, as disciples of Christ, are there commands? Certainly there are commands. Those saved by grace should have a faith that obeys the commands that have been given. 1 John 3, 22, And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments. And we do those things that are pleasing in His sight, not the culture's sight, His sight. We should want to do exactly as God has commanded. Our loyalty to Christ requires it. So when we read statements like Paul wrote in Philippians 4 and verse 9, we should acknowledge our obligation. Paul said, the things that you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Do. And the God of peace will be with you. Then number three, then I'll get to something else that I think will help us. No human expediency or explanation justifies disobedience. It seems men not only want to disobey God, but as soon as they decide to disobey God, the next step is to justify it and defend disobedience and to come up with explanations and excuses and offer up sophisticated reasons all such human wisdom is empty. Paul said, let God be true, but every man a liar. Now, I said there was something else I thought I would give you that I think is insightful. I want to share something with you that I believe is packed with insight about the modern ways of men when it comes to what God wants, what God has said. Now, what I'm going to share with you is satire. But it's based on the real attitudes of men. Someone wrote this, a gospel preacher, to help us learn some things that are valid and urgent to help take us to application from the narrative. This is an open letter from Nadab and Abihu that they posted for Israel to read. Now, Satire, use your imagination, but listen carefully, and I think some points will emerge for our good thought. Open letter from Nadab and Abihu. They post this. Brethren, it is with the utmost humility that we inform you of a change of worship practices in your normal sacrificing. Be assured that we are bringing about this change only after much prayer and study. 
We have recently concluded an in-depth study of the law as delivered by our brother Moses. That covered 40 days. We might note that is 10 times the length of time it took the Lord to impart this law. We have decided to bring about a change in the type of fire used in worship. We are aware that there is a standing tradition of using only one source of fire, but we, as holy priests, do not feel obligated to blindly follow tradition. Numerous polls of our worshiping clientele indicate the overwhelming opinion that they do not care where we get the fire used for the sacrifices, just as long as the service is conducted in a respectful and meaningful way. We were in agreement with this growing majority as we cannot see how a change in fire will affect anything in the least about our sacrifices. The animal is still properly cooked, the incense burned. We are of the mind that were we to secretly substitute a different fire, it would be impossible for any of the worshipers to know a change had taken place. Besides all this, we became aware of the fact that nowhere in the law does the Lord forbid the use of what some of our detractors have referred to as strange fire. We feel that the lack of such a restriction was meant to give us freedom. For those who disagree, we would ask you to show us any place in the law that tells us we cannot do something the Lord has not seen fit to condemn. We also wish to point out that the congregation of Israel is the only religious group in the known world that willingly limits itself to only one kind of fire. We've become the laughing stock of the land of Canaan, and we've been ridiculed openly by many groups. This only one fire self-righteous policy has alienated us from everybody around us in the culture and the neighborhood religiously. We believe this change will open up many fellowship opportunities. Now, to set the minds of some of you at ease, we will continue to offer a traditional service using the old-fashioned fire as well as this progressive service with the new fire. As a matter of fact, we may occasionally use the old fire in our progressive service for special feast. In this way, we hope that our older citizens are still comfortable, even though they dogmatically insist on a worship style which is declining and we believe to be stunting our growth. Consider the freedom this new practice affords us. We will no longer have the expense of maintaining a constant fire in one location. This will also make it possible to appeal to a younger audience as we discover more entertaining ways to light the fire of our assemblies. We hope you caught this little play on words there. For those who still oppose the use of new fire, we ask you not to be judgmental of new ideas. We also hope you will not use this change as an excuse to divide our people and stir up trouble within the congregation. We remind you that this has been well thought out and the majority of elders have signed on to this. It is true we have not included our father Aaron in this deliberation, 
but we are well aware of his tradition-bound views and still plan to leave him in charge of doing the traditional service anyway. We also have not consulted Moses because his humility is well known and we are confident he will want to uphold the majority decision in an effort to improve our worship. We're very much looking forward to our first new fire service. We hope you will make a special effort to be present to witness a new age of enlightenment in the church of Israel. We know God will be watching and we anticipate that His joy over seeing His people take a great step toward the throwing off of the burden of binding tradition will be an electrifying experience. See you there. Bring some extra barbecue sauce. For we think this new practice is going to spread like wildfire. Signed, for freedom's sake, Nadab and Abihu. End of satire. Maybe I didn't need to even say it was satire, the way my tone of voice captured it. Today, though we are not under the law of Moses, in all our responses to God and our loyalty to Christ, we need to take seriously the instructions we have from God. When God tells us what He wants, everything else ought to be ruled out right there. God doesn't have to list every other option and specifically condemn it. If God says, this is what I want, our attitude ought to be, that's exactly what we're going to do from now on. We will not be presumptuous. We will not get together and try to craft our own system that bypasses what God has said. We will love God with such a love. He will be delighted and satisfied to see that we stay within His instructions. So if God says sing, we will sing. If God says repent and be baptized, that's what we're going to teach. If God says the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week, we're not going to try to change that. Whatever God says about attitude, daily life, resisting temptation, prayer, the work of the local church, we will not seek to be change agents or manipulators or strife makers. We want to approach God according to His holiness and His just claim on our lives as people who have been purchased by the blood of Christ. I tell you again what I said earlier. The overriding theme of Leviticus that many of you are reading now in your daily Bible reading, God is to be respected. His word is to be obeyed. We are to keep what is holy, holy, and distinguish between right and wrong. If you have failed in this, you can be forgiven by Jesus Christ as we respond now, as we stand together to sing.